verse 3 and 4 came to my heart, and I just want to read it to you. We won't be able to put it up on the screen, but I want to read it to you. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do, right? Being believers in Jesus. It's not like, you know, and we're going to actually look into some of this today when I get into my message, but with, you know, injustice that goes on in the earth or conflicts between nations, what normally breaks out is war. And it's, it's horrific, actually, at the end of the day. But he says that's not how we work as believers. And he says in verse 4, he says, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning to destroy false arguments. Now listen, real quick. This, this is not, this is just a little extra. This is a little bonus for you this morning. But what Paul was talking about, you've got to understand, he was speaking to the Corinthians. And the Corinthian culture, everybody say culture. The Corinthian culture was not aligned with the truth of God's word and with Jesus. It was a very godless society. In many ways, very similar to a, to a city or a region like South Florida. There was, a, there was a port city. There was comings and goings. It was a gateway to the rest of the world. And what had happened over thousands of years, really, is in that culture, belief systems had been established. You know, ways of thinking. And, and those things don't happen overnight, but once they're locked in, man, they, they become this, what Paul described as this stronghold. And he, the, the language there in the Greek, it's like literally like a fortified um, tower on the top of a mountain. And in natural warfare, those things are very hard to defeat. I mean, you're at a disadvantage, right, when, you're, when you have the low ground and someone else has the high ground. And he was saying, listen, in this culture, Corinthian church, like, the high ground here is taken over by by the belief systems that have been instilled into the hearts and the minds of the Corinthians. And what we believe really determines our behavior in so many ways, right? So, so this is why at the harbor we are so centered on Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is power, there is power in the name of Jesus and what he gave, what he did on the cross. Like, like literally that pure, perfect perfected blood that was shed can literally help us to move forward any mindset belief system that stands above the truth of God's word so that we can move forward in functional health in our lives. If you're saved this morning, say amen. It, it, it really is true. So, so this is what we're going after. Today at the, with the Engage and Activate, we actually have some Brazilian friends. Are there any Brazilians in the house? Bon dia, my friends. Bon dia. Um, we are having a Brazilian barbecue after for those that are hanging out a little bit so you can have some food to eat. You need to buy a ticket in the cafe, $10 a person, and then you can eat your heart's desire of Brazilian chihascaria. Can I get an amen and amen? It's awesome. Some of the best food on the planet. All right, we are in our, our series uh, called History Makers, and it's a unique series because we're looking at historical figures and gleaning from their lives you know, to hopefully inspire our hearts to be history makers ourselves. And I want to remind you that over here to, to my left, your right, there is a future history maker board where between now and Easter we are praying for people that are on our hearts to come to step into the history that God has for them to make in this lifetime, right? So I encourage you, take a minute after the service, go over there, write the names of those people, uh, don't put their address or phone number. Can I get an amen? Just their names. In fact, first names is cool right? And just fill that out because we're taking weekly times of prayer on Tuesday nights and praying for these people as we join our hearts with your hearts for these lives. And, 
And so we're seeing history made right now. I believe, listen, I don't say this is hype, but I believe we are living in one of the most significant moments in human history. And we have seen over the the course of this series thus far that there were people just like you and I that just took the little that was in their hand and they said yes to God's invitation to steward that little that he had given to them. That's all he's asking. He's not asking us to get overwhelmed with the, the realities of this world. How many of you look out there and you see the realities of what's going on in our nation right now, in our world, and sometimes we can get paralyzed under that. He's just asking us, listen, I just put something in your hand and I want you to engage and be activated in that and be used by me empowered by my grace in this moment. Now, I need some grace this morning because these are harder messages to preach. We're not just going through like portions of the Bible here. I'm trying to give some some, uh, historical um, overview of these people, but I'm also trying to tie it into the word of the Lord. And and, and the word that I, I really felt in my heart today as we look into the life of Dr. Martin Luther King this morning And I'm going to actually filter in. I remember last week I I didn't get to part B of my message, some of the values of the Moravians. I'm going to filter that into my teaching this morning as well. But I really felt strongly Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Look at this with me. We're going to read it. Isaiah is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. Because I believe Isaiah 60, which this is a precursor to this this series of verses, is is really um, so significant because it was the first message Jesus ever preached And it will be the last message he preaches through our lives, where the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord comes upon us, his grace, to turn ashes into beauty and mourning into joy. We're we're really, that's that's what Christ came to do. He he came to bring redemption and reconciliation to the brokenness of the fall. If you believe that, say amen. And so this is a curse precursor to those verses. Look at it with me. It's really powerful. Because we're gonna we're gonna really highlight injustice today. Oh, man, I, I, just, I just feel the heart of God for injustice. And we should feel that same thing, too. It's, he says, look at my servant, speaking of Jesus, who was our example so that we could be like him. He says, whom I strengthen. There's a grace, some grace language, that divine enabling power. He says, he is my chosen one who pleases me, and I have put my spirit on him. If you go and look at the, the baptism of Jesus before his ministry, these verses are speaking exactly of that moment. Very interesting, verse 2, he says, he will not shout or raise his voice in public. Listen, I just want to pause right here and say, oftentimes with injustice, we get angry, but it's not righteous indignation. And, 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 and the, the unrighteous anger is what, what causes all kinds of conflict in the world. And so the culture that Jesus was going to set and that we are to follow was, was to, to, to have the Spirit of God on us to bring justice to the nations, but we're not bringing justice through human means of violence and of anger. Do you understand that? And that's what Jesus was modeling here. And he says, verse 3, also on the other side, those that are under injustice, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle, but he will bring justice to all that, those who are wrong. So we, we've seen even in the lives of the Moravians, I'm going to remind you of this today as we re-look back on them and, and Huss and all the movement that was taking place from the 1400s on. But there really is something that God's doing to those under oppression. And it's been that way throughout history. 
And, and the oppressed, Jesus is the greatest advocate for. He loves to come and bring freedom to the oppressed. Because when they find that, they become voices for freedom themselves. It's incredible. It's incredible. You see the addicts that, that get, get you know, freed of all that junk or the prostitute or whoever. Whatever brokenness that's out there, when they get freed, they become a voice. They become a voice of hope for other people. And I love this verse number four. He says, he will not falter, oh, this is incredible, or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even the distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. I want you to envision with me the justice of God covering the earth. There's going to come a generation, which I believe we're a part of right now, that's why I'm speaking this message to us today, that is going to rise up in the Spirit of God, in the love of God, to see injustice broken off of our nation. Now we know, looking at the last couple of messages in the Protestant movement, the word Protestant actually comes from the root word to protest. And we saw how during the Bohemian Reformation, which was just the Czechoslovakian Reformation under Jan Hus, who was actually burned at the stake in 1415, simply for advocating people being able to have services like today in their own language and to be able to read the Bible for themselves. I mean, talk about, you know, like the simplest of strongholds being broken, and he was crucified on a, a, a stake for, for advocating on, on, on behalf of those realities. It's, 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 it's ludicrous to think, but that's where the maturity of, of, of people's mindsets were in the time. So he lost his life in 1415. And then we saw how Martin Luther, um, he, he, he rose up after this time, and, and his commentary actually on the prophet Isaiah, which we're actually in that book today, he, sa- he declared this. He says, the gospel we now have was bought for us with the blood of Hus, this man who lost his life, and with Heronius. Listen, what we're a part of today, what we're experiencing today as believers, was paid for by others in the past that fought for justice, that stood up under the unction of God to say, hey, this is not right. And, and we are a part of this great gospel. We all know historically that all 12, of the, only all 12 of the original disciples saved Judas, they all gave their lives for this gospel that we're a part of. We don't talk about that much in America because we've never really seen that kind of persecution, right? But throughout the world and throughout history, that has been the case. And during uh, the times of 1483 to 1546, Martin Luther There was the the Protestant Reformation, which I already talked to you guys about. But then right after that, it's crazy. What what happens when religion gets into the mix? We saw that from 1618 to 1648, there was 30 years of war where 88 million people lost their lives. On the Christian side, and, 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 and there was battles going back and forth between Christians and Catholics. It was horrific. It was horrendous, and, and I could just imagine the heart of God, you know, just seeing 8 million people die over ridiculousness that was not tuned in to the heart of Jesus. What's crazy, I did some more history look, look on this, and, this, and this, is, this is all after 
the Crusades, which was the Christian's response to Islamic Jihad from 1095 to 1492, where another three million people lost their lives. But here's what I want to say. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a whole nother standard. It's like there's been deliverers throughout history, people that stood for justice, you know, one-offs here and there. But I believe truly, like we were singing about this morning, there is an army that is rising up. That we all in our own way are going to be engaged and we're going to be activated to say, hey, with my life, with the breath that I have in my lungs, I'm going to make a difference on this planet. I might need to get turned up, Kevin. I'm not sure if this is translating. That we are going to give our lives to make a difference on this planet with the breath that we breathe. I was talking to a guy in Nashville, Tennessee this last week when I was up there, you know, doing some, doing some, some exploration with some things that are going on in my heart. And he was 55 and he said, you know what? I, I, want, I, I already see where I want to be when I'm, when I'm 65. And he, he said, I've calculated down to, if I, if I get to that place, I've calculated down to the, to, the, to the day and to the hour, you know, the number of breaths that I have, the number of legitimate hours that I have to be used by God. And so I've re, re, reverse engineered, like the intentionality of my time. This was a marketplace guy that had a passion for Jesus. He said, I reverse engineered how I'm going to give the intentionality of my time to see Jesus glorified. We don't think about that. We just kind of passively sometimes live life. Listen, life is short. Life is brief. And we need to really grab a hold of our days and our moments that we've been given by God as a gift to use it for the glorification of the Son. It's time, come on, for people not to sit in pews Sunday after Sunday, but to actually do something with their faith. We saw in Ludwig von Zinzendorf's life, who lived from 1700 to 1760, he ends up, man, being intentional about what he could do. He purchased this, this estate from his grandmother. He declared the property at Hernhut during the midst of all this craziness, which actually Hernhut means Lord's watchful care and protection. And he de- declared that place to be a sovereign place of refuge, fleeing from religious persecution during the Holy Roman Empire at that time. Like, I'm really passionate about church being a safe place for people again. I'm, t- I'm over the dysfunction and the brokenness in the lives of leaders. If there's not leaders that are healthy, the congregation is not going to be healthy. And Christ paid for functional health in our lives. The blood was spilled so that we could actually step into wholeness. Do you believe that? Or are we just going to live in brokenness all of our days and then just kind of let the fallout of that just affect all kinds of... No way! In fact, I remember when, man, God was calling Wendy and I to to just be prepared for ministry. I thought it was about, you know, learning all this theology. And what I found is, man, he took me and turned me inside and out, outside in and inside out again. And, man, he let his love get all up in me. And you know what? That was what he needed to do to prepare me to be a leader that, you know, had had, had a representation of Christ's likeness in my character. It's super important. It's what the blood of Jesus is all about. And what I love is from the ashes of that time, because we're going to look at a man who stood in a really key and critical time in history. But from the ashes of those 700 years of religious war where millions died, those 600 believers at Hernhut under Zinzendorf that were descendants spiritually, if you will, of Huss in, in, in the 1400s, 
had an encounter with God. In 1727, and the fruit of that encounter gave them emboldened passion for other people. You want to know what revival looks like? Revival looks like increased hunger and love for Jesus and increased hunger and love for other people. Especially those that aren't sitting in rooms like this all over this region on Sunday. In fact, I I want to read this quote to you. They said, he, the Holy Spirit, who's a person, came upon its members, gathered at the table of the Lord, and baptized them all into one body, and filled them with a strong, unquenchable passion to execute the Savior's great commission, and to let all mankind know of his cross and his salvation. Wow. Did you know that the Moravians under, we saw this last week, Johann Dober and David Nietzscheman, who were two young adults, little young adults, That said, we'll sell ourselves into slavery to go and minister to the injustice taking place in St. Thomas, St. Croix, and the Danish West Indies. And from those guys, it said, you know what? I'll engage and I'll activate. And they went on their own dime. They, They ended up starting businesses over there and engaging the culture. That over the next 50 years, because of these two guys... Churches were established across St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. John's, Jamaica, Antigua, Barbados, any, any, any Caribbeans in the house, and St. Kitts, where over 13,000 people came to know Jesus on these islands from the Moravians before any other missionaries showed up on the scene. Who are the forerunners sitting in this room that are going to be like, you know what, God, I'll do it, I'll sign up, I'll go, I'll make this thing happen. The tipping point always begins with those kinds of people, not the multitudes that come later and go, woo, we're all on on board here. No, it's the ones that say, you know what, I'm in. You get into renewal. You're like, man, God, I want to be used. I only have so many days. I only have so many breaths left in my lungs, but I'm going to be used by you in these ways for your glory. I love what the Moravians said. They said this. Skipping down a few quotes, but it says, just for the sake of time, they said, following Christ is not a matter of faith or works, I love this, but of faith that works and should be visible to the lives of those who profess it. I'm going to say it again. Following Christ is not a matter of faith or works. It's a matter of faith that works and should be visible in the lives of those who profess it. I love their motto. They said, a life changed, a church revived, a nation reformed, and a world evangelized. And they saw the greatest mission movement in human history. And a good majority of their work brought down The power of injustice happened through colonization and slavery. It was powerful what these people did. So I I felt like I was to fast forward 200 years where God raises up another man to stand on behalf of those suffering from injustice, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now what's interesting, when I did my research here, his given name at birth was actually Michael King. But his father, also born Michael King, experienced this gradual transition in his heart where he felt to change both he and his son's names. Now, I know, you know, that sounds like whatever, but if I look at that kind of through a little bit of a, you know, kind of prophetic lens, there's something really powerful about a name. 
It's like even, I don't understand this fully, but the, the Lord says that, the, that he has a name for us in heaven. And it's written on these white stones. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. But the point is, is that he sees us, and the name that he ties to us has deep meaning. And it's deeply tied to our destiny and our purpose in this life. So the senior king was inspired during this trip to Germany, where he was part of this, what's called the BWA, the Baptist World Alliance. And he was touring over there, and he saw these sites associated with Martin Luther. The Moravians, Jean Hus, all the people that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And he was inspired in his heart by these people that said, man, I'm going to rise up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand righteously. I'm not going to wage warfare like normal humans, but I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be a person that comes against injustice because that's what God's heart would want me to do. He rises up and then in the midst of this, he's witnessing, this is by the way in 1936, 1934, he's already witnessing the precursors of Nazism that's happening over there through Hitler. And we know what that brought onto the earth, right? So listen, we always should be going ahead of where the enemy's trying to move, right? Trying to, let's shut that, let's shut it down before it even starts. Come on, somebody, come on. We get ahead of, ahead of the enemy's maneuvers. We got to be tuned in to what God is up to on the earth right now. Now this is for his day. But I'm preaching this so that you would think about our day. Like, what's going on in our generation? What's happening in this hour where justice is reigning and prevailing? we got to get ahead of that in God, right? Because it's our assignment. Martin Luther King Jr., which is the name that his dad changed his own name to and changed the name of his son to, out of this inspiration would be known as the father of what was called the peaceful protest movement. It was actually one of the first times in human history where injustice was confronted peacefully. He had a combination of nonviolence and civil disobedience. He took a lot of heat for the civil disobedience, which is the active, professed refusal of a citizen to obey certain laws, demands, and orders and commands of a government or preoccupying international power. King was criticized for this, but I love this quote. i got to read this to you. This is powerful. He says, any man who breaks a law that his conscience tells him or her that is unjust and willingly accepts the penalty by staying in jail in order to arouse the conscience of the community on the injustice of that law, is at that moment expressing the very highest respect for law. So here, these these friends that were moving with him in this civil rights movement, this is how they viewed what they were giving themselves to. It was very powerful. It It really, I'm talking about our nation, it really shook off and broke some tremendous injustice that had been in place since the late 1800s, especially in the south of America. One of the highlights, we know this through history, was the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955. Now, the thing that I didn't know was that there was a little 15-year-old girl by the name of Claudette Colvin, African-American schoolgirl in Montgomery, who refused, I think we have her picture, if we could put that, there it is, yeah, look at her, that refused to give up her bus seat to a white man in violation of Jim Crow laws. Now, I need to explain this to you if you're not familiar. Jim Crow laws... There was, there was in the southern United States, the former Confederate states, 
There was enforced racial segregation after the Reconstruction period. The Jim Crow laws were enacted in 1896 and remained in effect till 1965, where there was this legal principle of what they called separate but equal. Racial segregation that was extended to public facilities, transportation, and so on. But the deal was that African Americans in their public facilities and transportation were totally inferior, being completely underfunded. So it wasn't separate, but equal. So that's why they started taking these stands. This 15-year, come on, this 15-year-old girl, what would it look like if the youth got boldness on them and said, listen, we're going to be an army that's going to rise up in this hour against injustice as it relates to the cross of Jesus Christ. She was the precursor. And King was on the committee from Birmingham, where they were looking into this case, but they decided to wait for a better case because this incident involved a minor. And then nine months later, on December 1st, 1955, a similar incident occurred where Rosa Parks, we mostly know this story, was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a city bus. For the sake of time, I just got to say this. The pinnacle of King's movement took place during the March on Washington in 1963. I didn't know this. It was so powerful when I studied this, where he actually departed from the text of his speech. You know, when they get up in front of crowds like that, man, they've got a speech written out, you know, and they stick to the script. I mean, nowadays you see the teleprompters, and they're just reading off the teleprompters. And this lady behind him, by the name of Mahalia Jackson, she shouted out, tell him about the dream. I just, you know, what I'm feeling right now, man, is, is we kind of are sticking to the script in church in many ways. And I just feel the Lord like say, what about the dream? This is bigger than your little programs and your Sunday gatherings. What about the dream that I have for human history right now? What about the dream that I have to see a nation really come into alignment and then people's brokenness just be completely restored by the blood of my son? What about that dream? And I love the courage of this man. He got completely off script. That's really scary to step away from your notes. But what was in his heart started to overflow. And he said these words. He says, and I'm just giving you a little tidbit. He said, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slave members and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. That was an impossible dream when he spoke that out back then. We have a long ways to go, but we're a whole lot closer now than we've ever been. But that was powerful for him to say that. He says, I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression. Listen to this. Will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. Oh, my God. I have a dream that even my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Did you know that I have a dream can be regarded right now as one of the finest speeches in the history of American oratory? Because the guy said, I'm going to get off a script because some woman called to him and said, what about the dream? What about our voices? 
Do we want to stick to the script? Or do we want to let flow out of us what's burning in our hearts? And for him, it was unity. Among diversity, it was transformation, the brokenness of the culture of that day. And it was for every person to have at least the opportunity to come into the full potential that God had desired in his heart for them to step into. Come on. That's amazing. But he, split, he, 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 he spilled his blood for this vision. 1968, King was planning on a national occupation of Washington, D.C. to be called the Poor People's Campaign where he was assassinated on April 4th in Memphis. And his death was followed by many riots in the U.S. It's sad. What he carried, actually, this enemy tried to come in again, right? As I close, i, I, I got to show you this. Just give me a couple minutes. When we began this morning, we were reading out of Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, where the, where, the, where the Father said that Jesus would not lose heart or he would not falter until justice prevailed in the earth. So I want to conclude by going back to actually a reference in the New Testament of that scripture briefly. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. It's where he actually references Isaiah 42. It's super amazing. But the context here is where Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath. And it's this guy that was born with a deformed hand. So think of like one hand's perfect and the other hand's completely deformed. And he had passion for the injustice of that in this man's life. Think about it. He was only able to do partially what he had actually probably been called to do. Who knows what his occupation was? So Jesus says to the man in verse 13, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand. And it was restored just like the other one. Oh, my gosh. Can you see that? Like, I want you to think about whatever realm of injustice, whatever realm of brokenness in our society. Because in our own nation, there's, there's beauty. And then there's deformity. There's stuff God's doing, and there's stuff where the enemy has way too much reign right now. And Jesus, Jesus healed this guy. And the Pharisees, religion, wanted to kill him, it says in verse 14. So Jesus knew what they were planning. He was very strategic. Don't, don't become a martyr if you don't have to. Can I get an amen? If he would have died then, it was before his time. Sometimes we get killed because we're stupid. Can I get an amen, all right? Don't be dumb, all right? Use wisdom. And it was good that he did because it says that he healed, look at the word here, all of the sick among... talk about the fruit of justice flowing through the Son of God? Every single person encountered his love in that way that day. But look what he says in verse 16. He warned them not to reveal who he was. In other words, Jesus would have pulled down his Instagram account, Facebook, detached from Twitter, he would have went off the radar. And he told everybody, don't even tell anybody about me. I thought about that. I was like, Lord, what in the world? 
What in the world is going on here? Look with me in the next verse. He says, look my servant who I have chosen. He is my beloved. Verse 18, who pleases me. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. And he will not fight or raise his voice in the streets. No anger, fueled by love. In verse 20, he will crush, not crush the weakest weed, reed, or put out, he'll crush weed as well. Anyhow, never mind, that's another thing. Reed, or put out a flickering candle. Everybody is, here's the thing. The deal is, the reason he didn't want his name to be known is because everybody was to be part of the mission. That's insane. It's all about the name of Jesus, but in his moment, he was like, don't make this just about me because you're supposed to sign up for this deal right now. I can't do this by myself. In fact, he even told his disciples, listen, I'm going away. And when I leave, you're to gather because I'm going to put my spirit in you. And the 12 of you will become 120. And the 120 will become, you know, 3,000. And 3,000 will become 30,000. And 30,000 will become 300,000. And the deal is we're not making it about us. We're making it about Jesus. Because I want you to to, picture this in your heart with me. What if, I'm closing with this statement. What if we lived in a region where Jesus was known versus ex-church or ex-pastor or ex-worship leader? Fill in the blank. What if people said of South Florida, my God, guys, I don't know what's going on, but something down in South Florida is happening where Jesus is known in that city. Right now, there's 450 churches gathering together quarterly and outside of that on multiple, you know, times and, and weeks. And we, when you know, I had a, a, a Presbyterian couple over our house this last week and we had dinner together and it was beautiful. 400, right now, 450 churches in Broward County alone through what we're calling this organically organized thing called Church United. Listen, something is up. People are being called to move here. People are being called to plant churches here. People are being called to do all kinds. People are being called to build great businesses here because we've been called for such a time as this to make this the greatest place to live and to work and to raise our families. We might even see people one day root for the Dolphins and the Marlins. I was thinking that. That would be like a faith statement, right? Holy cow. I want to just, just take a minute just as we close. I want to just, just fill this room with worship, and then we're just going to pray. We're going to end our time so that we can. I'm fired up, guys. I am, I am so encouraged. I, I feel like this is a moment where I'm, I'm, I'm going I've always been all in but I mean it's like I'm going all in plus one right plus two join me it's, 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 it's the greatest time to be alive and the greatest time to be living in South Florida we're going to look back 20 years from now and we're going to go God only you could have done something like that Lord what what injustice in our region needs to come under your blood. In what way, God, do you want to use us collectively 
to see transformation hit our region like never before. Every voice, come on. with that in our hearts, Lord, and we ask that you would inspire us to be agents of change in this moment. Every heart in this room, everybody's included, no one's left out. You came to pay a price for every person in this room so that they could be engaged and activated in this moment and in this hour. I pray especially over the marketplace people in this room that are on assignments by you right now, Lord, in this time. God, give them grace and give them favor. Favor in their business dealings. Favor in their comings and their goings, Lord. 
to, 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 to rise in influence, Lord. We ask you for this. People all over the business community, God, that would begin to happen like never before. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We're going to have some of our ministry team come. You know, if you felt something in your heart about today, I want to encourage you, come on down. Take a step of action. Come down and say, hey, I want to get prayed for. Something in my heart was, was touched, and I need someone to just agree with me on that. Maybe today you don't know Jesus in the way that I was talking about. Like, he wants to be your friend. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to be with you. Come and let's have a conversation about how you can come to know Jesus in a very intimate, personal way. It's available for everybody. If you've got stuff going on in your life, you just need prayer. Maybe there's things happening that you just need like something extra for someone to stand with you. Come on down. Listen, God bless you guys. Have an amazing rest of your day. Sign up for Engage and Activate. Enjoy some lunch on us, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. God bless you guys.